0: I'm delighted to be joined this morning by entrepreneur and business model innovator Alexander Osterwalder. Alexander is lead author of the best-selling book, Business Model Generator. Um, Alex, uh, you invented the business model canvas, uh, a tool to to visualise essentially business models. What key challenges do you feel that this uh, addresses and why has it been so successful?
1: (laughs) So we, could, we did actually a little bit of research on why it was successful and it's basic stuff but that we don't always follow in management thinking. It's very simple and it's very practical and it's mm. very visual. Yeah. And the visual aspect is actually the most important one and it's often underestimated. So the higher you get up in an organization, the more, I like to call it, blah blah you have. <laughs> in the sense that <laughs> yeah. people sitting around a table having conversations that are all over the place, very smart people, very experienced people, you know, if you, i mean an analogy, when you design something, a glass, if you want to discuss how it's going to look, and so you need a prototype so you mm-hmm. can have a good conversation, otherwise it's very abstract. Mm-hmm. And in business, we don't have that very often when we talk about strategy, business malls, value proposition. Mm-hmm. So for the business mall canvas, our goal was simply to create this artifact that would allow entrepreneurs and managers to visualize <laughs> the topic of sure. business model so they could better talk about it. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty straightforward
0: and it's more powerful than one might think, the, the visualization aspect. Sure. So, in a typical business plan, I uh, say up to this? Where, where do people typically go wrong? Um, is, it, is it a case that they're, they're not specific enough, that they're um, find the yeah, sky yeah, in yeah, terms yeah. of yeah. their aspirations? <laughs> or so what, what is it?
1: Interesting question. I'd say the mistake is to write the business plan. Right. And the reason is very simple. When you have an idea or an innovation, and you write a business plan, you're basically refining a fantasy. Mm. You're making a beautiful slide deck, and
0: Mm. Excel
1: spreadsheet, but you're just making something look very good that is a fantasy. Mm. And at that beginning, you should actually admit that you have no clue if it's going to work, so you should make it very short and then go test. Mm-hmm. And for that, you can use the business model canvas because, it's, you know, you could say it's the, the, ver- the 21st century version of a business plan, but very short so you can prototype it mm-hmm. and then ask, okay, what needs to be true for this idea to work? Mm-hmm. So you get your assumptions out there and then you go and test right. and iterate. So yeah. business plans are actually a way to maximize the risk of failure. Mm -hmm. It sounds very silly, right? A way to maximize the risk of failure. Why? Mm -hmm. Because you're going to refine a fantasy, it's going to look so good that you're going to go and execute it, build the product, and you're going to notice too late that it was probably wrong.
0: So what you do instead is you kind of inch out, test things, come back, uh, pivot and And change,
1: And change. Sometimes you might be on a pretty good path, you know, pivot is a the Silicon Valley word right, for for a pretty strong change of direction, but it doesn't have to be. It could be the way you do acquisition. Mm -hmm. It's often in the details of the value proposition, if you're not completely wrong, which is also often the case if you're really going into innovation. Mm -hmm. So it's that kind of behavior. And you know, sometimes you can't pivot yourself to success. You just need to admit, look, this was a bad idea. Mm. Because there is such a thing as a bad idea. And then sure. you need to stop as quickly as possible. Mm. But you won't know if it's a bad idea just by making a business plan, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. business plans or slide decks and spreadsheets can look very great.
0: Yeah. Right? So yeah. you want to go
1: test. Yeah. And you might learn, hey, there's nothing there.
0: Mm. Yeah, which might save you a fortune, might save exactly. you life savings, and maybe you can reinvent exactly. yourself yes. in some other context. So it sounds like failure, <laughs> but it actually
1: isn't. So yeah. that's, that's what we need to learn a lot yeah. more. Yeah.
0: I noticed you said that the, uh, the business models expire like yogurt in the <laughs> yes. fridge. Tell us, tell us more.
1: <laughs> well, the only thing is you don't have an expiry date, right? right. So that's the, the challenging part. Yeah. What it means is you need to reinvent yourself all the time. That is particularly the case for established organizations in banking, in pharma, in media. Mm. That's very important. But if you're a startup entrepreneur, you need to think about that at the very early stage, also, because you know the, the phase from idea to real business mm. is more and more condensed.
0: Yep. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, most organizations have have a lot of rhetoric around innovation, but yeah. they're, they're not necessarily very good. Yes. And actually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, implementing them in, in practice. Is that something you would agree with?
1: Yes. And there's a lot of innovation theatres still going on. And mm. often pretty well funded. You know, oh, we have an incubator. Right? We have a hackathon. We're doing this and we're doing that. So it's there's not a lack of activity that's the problem. But the, it's a very simple way mm. to assess if, an, if a company is taking innovation seriously. Mm. And I learned that from Rita McGrath from Columbia Business School. So she says, just look at the agenda of the CEO. Mm -hmm. Take a week, take a second week, a third week, and then look how much time does he or she spend on innovation. Mm -hmm. That's a very good assessment. And I believe if you don't spend, if the CEO doesn't spend 20 to 40% of her or his time on innovation, they're not taking innovation seriously. All the activity is just that activity. Mm -hmm. So it's the bandwidth of the senior leadership that shows, are we
0: taking this seriously? You've also talked about the notion of the, of the chief innovation officer or sorry, I would the chief entrepreneurial exactly. officer. Exactly. I'd, uh, I'd
1: make a big difference there yeah. because, you know, innovation is about ideas and, and, and creating stuff that, that creates value yeah. for customers. But at the end of the day, you know, creating value for customers is just a starting point. You need mm. to create value for the business as well. Yeah. Mm. right? And that's where entrepreneurship comes in. Mm-hmm. And I would say we should have a more powerful function than somebody who just reports to the uh, CEO, mm-hmm. I like to call the chief execution officer, <laughs> completely focused on execution, you need somebody who has power in the organization, whatever title, mm-hmm. but what's important is that the power to make innovation happen, mm-hmm. because otherwise you're just an entrepreneur in chains if you try to do that in an established organization, because it's very hard. Mm-hmm. You're almost fighting on two fronts. You're fighting for customers, and you're fighting against <laughs> the, the enemy within, sure. and that's, that's, you can't win that.
0: Mm-hmm. I noticed you've also said that, uh, that to get a successful project, to get a world beating kind of idea out there, you might have to look at, say, 250, I believe, is the figure that you... Yes. Use. so That seems a very large number. Yeah. And then most people say, that,
1: oh, I can't do that. I'm a small organization, <coughs> mid-sized organization, so there's no way I can do 250 projects. Hmm. So first, you know, the number comes from early-stage venture capital. And it might look different when the risk profile of your innovations are, are you know, just a product innovation, not a business small innovation. So it could be five to one, two to one, ten to one. But The most important thing to take away is you won't pick the winner. It's impossible. When you're going after innovation, you need to make small bets mm. in several things mm. because not all of those bets are gonna turn out to be good bets. Mm. So better to start with small bets than with big bets. Now, here's the thing. Mm. You, Let's say you have 250. All you need is actually two people and time. You don't need a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So now of course if you're an SME with 250 people you can't send everybody out there to go and test. But when you have an organization with 10,000, 100,000 or more Mm -hmm. that's not even a lot. right? So you don't need a lot of money to start. Where it gets expensive is when you scale up innovation. Yes. And when you scale up, you should already learn a lot from the market, from the supply chain, before you start investing. And that's what's not happening today. We're making big bets because we want, we want big returns, mm. but actually all we're doing is maximizing the risk of failure. Yeah. You start with small bets, and you gradually invest more mm-hmm. in those, and that might be 30% at each stage, that show evidence yes. that they're on a good track.
0: To do that, I like, presume you need a very um, innovation-driven company that doesn't just have kind of rhetoric about it, or doesn't have oh, that, yes. a yeah. innovation. Officer yeah. stuck in a little department Correct. over there yeah, saying, yeah. well, we get on, with this is what we do yes. most of the time. Yes. But you know what? We're doing yes. a little piece of innovation here. Yes. Do you think a lot of that's going that's on? That's not
1: going to work. And yeah. a lot of that is going on, but the good news is organizations are trying to change, right? Mm. I mean, there are very few that are like Amazon. Amazon, I would say, is the, the world's best innovator today mm. because they create new business models, right? Mm. They created Amazon Web Services, and that is not a coincidence. Mm. I don't think Google is as innovative, right? Everybody takes Google as an innovation model, but how many of their moonshots have actually arrived, right? Right. It's big bets. (laughs) Now, that might work, but it's not accessible for most companies. So there is a change happening now Hmm. where where companies are taking innovation seriously and they're giving innovation power and they're making those small bets and they're gradually investing more in the bets that are starting to pay out, right? Hmm. So that's an innovation funnel, that's an innovation engine Mm-hmm. that you need to build. And another important thing that is underestimated, you don't want to make innovation the sexiest thing in your company. Mm-hmm. Because actually, yeah. <laughs> the money comes from the cash cows, right? what, what we like, sometimes like to call legacy business. Yes. But you know, as soon as the business is big, it's a legacy business. So, yeah. so the point is that the innovation engine creates these new businesses, gets them to a certain stage, and then hands over the keys. Because the innovation engine is not good at execution. Mm-hmm. So you okay. actually need exploit- exploitation of existing business models and exploration of new ones working in partnership. Mm-hmm. So it's really a partnership. It's not okay. one that's better than the other. They're just different.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you, you, the innovation aspect of the business can't drive execution. It's not it enough. hands over at some yes. point.
1: it's yeah. not enough. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are companies that focused very much on innovation, mm. but they almost neglected their core business. You can't do that, right? <laughs> that sounds trivial. And some companies are sure. very focused on their core business, and they neglect innovation. Mm. That's, you know, very risky, mm. I think. Today, it's riskier to do nothing <laughs> than, sure. to, than to take risks.
0: But what you're saying is you have to have two parallel tracks, Yes. Is it? Absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah, there comes a point for yes, the crossover. Yes,
1: yes and, yeah. and academics like to call that the ambidextrous organization. Right. There are a lot of terms out there. I it's just very important that these two tracks mm-hmm. work in partnership, right? Yeah. Because the innovators need access to customers. They need yeah. access to the brand. They need access to intellectual property, which mm. seems trivial. Because that's the only competitive advantage mm-hmm. that established organizations have. Mm. But today it's very hard innovators in a company to get access to those resources, which sounds crazy, right? Mm
0: Are there any other innovative organizations that really impress you?
1: So I can't talk
0: about them on the record, of
1: course, because I work with a couple of companies that are getting there. There are actually a couple of German companies that um, I really enjoy working with because Mm -hmm. they're doing this metered funding where they make many small bets, they give teams the time, Mm -hmm. and they gradually invest more. Hmm. So unfortunately, all of those that I'm working with and those where we're seeing yeah. the best results okay. are, are confidential. Yeah, there are results coming out that are being published, so hopefully I can
0: talk about them soon. It's always a bit you know, yeah, yeah. annoying. And going back to what we were talking about a minute ago, the uh, the chief entrepreneurial um, officer, would you say that one of the reasons why Apple perhaps is not as um, as, as cutting edge now is that you have... Somebody there who is managing the company as opposed to Steve Jobs, yes, who is the, yes. the ideas man, the, the creative. So, you know, it's 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 a bit hard to judge.
1: Um, mm-hmm. I mean, size is one of the challenges. Apple yes. is so big. Yeah. What, do you, what do you do next? And the margins are high and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to see right now. So my, my friend Steve Blank, who launched the whole <laughs> lean startup movement, mm-hmm. he wrote a, a very good blog post on the topic. And he's saying that Apple is probably going to go the same way that... Uh, uh, Microsoft went when Steve Ballmer took over, right? right? So Steve Ballmer was a world-class operator and he grew the business, you know, mm-hmm. the, the existing business model to an incredible size. Wall Street was super happy, yep. but it was also a very sure bet that he would miss out on every single innovation mm-hmm. <laughs> that existed, right? So he, he expanded the core business mm-hmm. and missed out on every single innovation. Mm-hmm. So is that going to happen at Apple? We'll see. Yeah. right Because once you have a business model that is established that mm-hmm. powerful, mm-hmm. it actually can't take time to unravel, right. So right. we don't know Apple mm-hmm. right now. It's very hard yeah. to see mm-hmm. because they're not as open on their innovation, um, um, innovation culture as Amazon. Yeah. But they do have a very similar innovation culture still. Mm-hmm. You know, they do a lot of prototyping, they're very deeply into customer understanding mm. and that is a good start. So I don't think they're going to disappear very we're soon. Not, we're
0: not going to see a Nokia. <laughs>
1: we're not going to see a Nokia. Yeah. What is not quite clear is are they really good at business model innovation. Yeah. That is not quite clear. And, uh, Mm-hmm. I'd say Apple is a riskier bet today than Amazon, mm-hmm. if you take innovation as the yardstick. Mm-hmm. So uh, to be seen, to be seen.
0: Mm-hmm. And in terms of uh, say, the consulting work that you're, you're doing, I know you can't talk specifically about plans, but what do you think are the, are the big issues in the, in the, the boardrooms? Of, I, of the I,
1: it's good that you're for. mentioning boardrooms because, yeah. you know, the, the CEOs of the world actually don't always have <laughs> the power, so they're yeah. the boardrooms. And then there are the shareholders that mm. are the big challenge, right? And you know, I often hear Alex would love to do that, but but our shareholders won't allow us to, right? They don't want us to take that risk, they don't understand innovation. Now that is partially true, in particular when you have activist investors knocking on your door. Mm. Then innovation is very hard, right? Happening yeah. at GE, at Nestle, and so on. Mm. Long story. Mm. But what You know, I like is cases where you can say, well, they did work with shareholders. Paul Pullman, who's speaking here at the Mm -hmm. conference as well, he educated shareholders Mm. for a very long time to say, no, no, we're about the long term. Mm. We're taking, you know, innovation and environmental sustainability seriously. So Mm. live with it. (laughs) If you want to be a shareholder at our company, that's what we're doing. And Jeff Bezos did the same thing. From the beginning, we're about growth. So don't expect to get dividends the next 100 years, right? Sure. So, so you need to educate shareholders. That's the number one. Mm-hmm. So don't even say the boardroom, because even the boardroom you know, mm-hmm. can't, can't decide per se. Mm-hmm. But then there's a lack of understanding of innovation. So this is a complete lack of understanding how innovation works. Mm-hmm. Oh, we need big bets. Let's go into blockchain or this and that. Mm-hmm. We think innovation is technology. It's not. It's about creating value for customers with business models that can scale. Mm-hmm. Kind of basic stuff that we know. Hmm. But I don't think there's a good enough understanding in the boardrooms how innovation works in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, just looking at your R&D budget is the wrong thing to do. Hmm. R&D is not innovation. Yeah. It's just, you know, technical and research yeah. and development. Yeah. That's what it is. Technology
0: is not innovation in It's itself. not innovation. It might be a And,
1: trouble. you know, the, the favorite example I mention in boardrooms and with senior leaderships mm-hmm. is the Nintendo Wii. So, you know, when they launched the platform, Mm -hmm. it was an inferior technology. It was not an inferior value proposition because they were targeting a different market. Casual gamers with casual games, motion control, Mm -hmm. which was an off-the-shelf technology. Mm -hmm. So here comes a company with an inferior technology, off-the-shelf, you know, very little patents and they disrupt the market. Mm. So I want people to think innovation, value creation, business models, you know, <laughs> business model yeah. value yeah. creation, not mm. technology. And yeah. that's, that's just a starting point. But there are mm-hmm. about five myths that we
0: would need to bust yeah. to really get innovation to the sure. companies. Sure. And then finally, as we're here at the Peter Drucker Forum in, in Vienna and uh, the human side of management yes. has been put center stage. Yes. Um, are, are there any kind of key messages that you're going to deliver here about the human side of, of, of innovation?
1: So I, I think what's key is the management innovation that needs to take place for innovation to even happen. Mm-hmm. And that is about leaderships, you know, leadership teams creating the conditions for innovation to emerge. Because innovation is a bottom-up human activity. Mm. It's not a top-down, hey, I found that right idea. It's not about this you know, creative genius that you need to find who's going to pick the idea. No, it's about creating the conditions for the best ideas to emerge, for the best entrepreneurial teams in your company to go out, experiment, discover what could work, and then build that into a real growth engine. Sure. And the human aspect there is crucial. It's just that today the KPIs are all focused on execution. So we can't unleash the human talent that we have. So just one, you know, one thing that I take away here from Bill Fisher, a good friend of mine teaching at IMD, he says companies fight to hire the best talent and then they turn them into mediocre performers because they don't create the conditions for those people to thrive. So I think the human factor is essential, but how can we make the human factor blossom? It's very simple, by designing a culture that allows them to experiment and discover mm-hmm. great new yeah, ideas. Yeah. And, and that sure. can be designed.
0: Sure. And, and do you think fear of failure or creating a culture where failing isn't, isn't good?
1: Then you won't have innovation. Okay. And you know fear, John Hegel talks about this a lot, mm-hmm. fear is a big factor in companies mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. And fear of failure is probably one of the biggest ones. Mm-hmm. And if you can't fail, you can't innovate. Jebeso mm-hmm. says that mm-hmm. invention and failure are inseparable twins. Yeah. And he likes to say Amazon is the best place in the world to fail. Yeah. How many CEOs say that? Yeah. So if you can't
0: fail, you can't do innovation, so don't even try. Yeah. Great, okay. It's a good line in which to finish. Uh, Alexander, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you for having
1: me, it's a yeah. real pleasure. Yeah.